Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I'm going to start us off today by reading one of the many, many, many tweets tagging us after the loss we just witnessed. It's from Matt um, at Halostruct on Twitter. said, the next winged wheel podcast will just be the sound of three men smashing their faces into a table for an hour leading into a prospect profile. I would never hurt this table. <laughs> this table is the only good thing about, about us. My head is far too hard and this table is far too nice. Well, uh, Matt, you are more on point than you thought because we are going to be recapping what on God's green earth just happened with that 11-2 loss to the Penguins. And later on in this episode, we have an interview with Tony Ferrari, bless him for saving us, uh, to talk about prospects. So more accurate than you think. I'm, uh, it's a little sick. It's a little sick that we had scheduled recording. Like this was our planned time for the episode immediately after that game. Because all you want to do after watching your team get shelled 11 to 2 is just like stare, put, turn the lights off in whatever room you're in and stare at a blank wall for about a couple hours. Still, what we're going to do is uh, sit in a room on this podcast because we made the choice over seven years ago to cover this team as a job. And we have to live with that decision twice a week (laughs) every week right now this was the day that i realized everything's come full circle for us so everybody who listening to this knows we're friends with steve dangle and anybody who's heard the backstory knows this podcast kind of exists because of steve dangle because i was on the steve dangle podcast years and years and years ago and i went that was fun we should do that about the red wings and then this podcast was born and steve got popular because He would just angry yell at the Leafs all the time. And anytime the Leafs would do something stupid, which was often, he'd just get tagged in a million tweets saying, oh, this next Steve video or podcast is going to be great. They're going to lose it. (laughs) That was our timeline today. Yeah. That was, are we Steve Dangle now? Never. I refuse. I don't know. I'm sure Steve did too. Hey, I, uh. I didn't need you to say it out loud. There's a certain amount of dunking we do on Steve. Like, we'll either like on here or on Twitter or like in a group chat with him. We'll, we'll just like, ha ha ha, Steve in the leaves, Steve angry yell. And we're not, we're not that much different. Not that much different. Not the, like the angry yelling. It's just the despair. It's, it's the version of Steve that just laughs when the leaves <laughs> blow a 4 1 lead. That's where we're at. At what, yeah, at what point in this game did you start laughing? Today? Oh, first period. It was, it was six, before the first. It was period six goal. nothing for me. Yeah, it was the six nothing goal. Where I was just like, <laughs> here we go again. It when when the Pittsburgh hit for the cycle, like an even strength goal, shorthanded goal, a power play goal. I was like, no one expect. Anyways, when I could make a joke about the Red Wings having to convert the two-point touchdown, the two-point after on the touchdown to tie the game. That's when I was... Well, we have... uh, We've we've had some feedback after rough losses before. 
saying like this was maybe too much of a negative episode and you're saved this time because we did pre-record an interview with tony ferrari about 2022 nhl draft prospects so that will hopefully lighten things up um but we still will get into the episode welcome to the winged wheel podcast here in good faith i promise one of your hosts ryan hannah um absolutely here not in good faith i'm brad crisco and i'm evan on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we will indeed be talking about the Detroit Red Wings and what the hell comes next for the team, <laughs> the goalies, the defense, the forwards, the coaches, the fans, our sanity. Well, this is one of the rare episodes where we actually got three games in between. Not just this one. Great. I'm sure. They lost them all. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. Uh, we'll be getting into that interview with Tony. Uh, we'll be revisiting and, and talking about not only the CHL top prospects game, but also um, prospects from around the world of hockey and what the Red Wings might be looking at wherever they're drafting, which is <laughs> more relevant today. And then we'll be uh, we'll be chatting a little bit about the world uh, of betting odds and revisiting some of our past conversations before jumping into overtime. Before we do all that, I want to do our regular reminder that Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is a mere couple weeks away. Less than two weekends away. Saturday, April 9th. It's the Detroit versus Columbus Blue Jackets game. I'm feeling more and more appreciative that we picked the Blue Jackets game uh, than maybe like a Tampa Bay. Remember when we thought there might be like wild card implications? (laughs) There might be, but not for us. (laughs) Uh, Saturday, April 9th, and that game starts at 7 p.m., but the festivities start around 4, so uh, we're going to be hosting a live episode uh, with, featuring Ken Daniels and Mickey Redman from Little Caesars Arena in the Budweiser Beer Garden where the whole event is taking place before the game. Uh, there's going to be a meet and greet with us, the special guests, uh, each other. We're going to have some food and snacks out for you guys. The bar will be open for you to buy drinks. Uh, we'll have a ton of merch and things to give away, prizes, um, stuff to just kind of grab with you and then of course we'll be sitting all together in the arena whether you're in the gondola or in the lower bowl or upper bowl we have tickets available everywhere a bunch of winged wheel podcast sections uh, to join fellow winged wheel podcast listeners and then after the game we're going to be at the um harry's detroit bar and grill we've rented out the entire upstairs so they're going to stay open as long as we're there having fun so more food more drinks more stuff to give away Tickets have a special Winged Wheel podcast discount and a portion of the proceeds from every ticket benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. And speaking of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, uh, the Jamie Daniels Foundation comedy... uh, Read the big text, Ryan. Yeah. And speaking of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, the uh, Jamie Daniels Foundation Comedy Night of Hope is coming up on Sunday, May 1st at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle in Royal Oak, Michigan. Michigan uh, Tickets are as low as 50 bucks. The purchase of your ticket goes directly to support a new adolescent substance abuse treatment center that cares for youth regardless of insurance coverage or ability to self-pay. It's a vital lifeline for youth and families uh, in Southeast Michigan. The show features three headliner comedians with Craig Shoemaker, uh, Ian Bag and Mike Young and is sponsored by uh, our friends at Priority Waste and Cranks Catering. To purchase tickets, go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Uh, there's an afternoon and an evening show on May 1st with lunch and dinner included as well as a cash bar. So be sure to check those things out. Okay, let's get into it. I'm just going to quickly rattle through what has happened. So since the last time we recorded, the Red Wings lost 5-2 to the Islanders and 2-1 in OT. 
to the Tampa Bay Lightning, and that's before the Pittsburgh loss. Um, the Tampa Bay Lightning game I thought was notable because I thought Alex Nedeljkovic deserved the win there, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, nothing happened for 85% of that game. Today, Which the- honestly feels like a blessing compared to the two games around it. Oh, yeah. 85% of nothing against Tampa Bay is usually good. Tampa Bay was a team that's like really slumping. I was actually kind of surprised. Yeah, I don't think they've beat a playoff team in like, I don't, I'm not going to say a month or something because I can't remember what it was, but it was a, a long time, a frighteningly long time. Like you're, you're talking about Tampa Bay possibly in a wild card spot. They, they were, are. They were in a wild card spot going into that game. Yeah. Boston's in third Then they'll play Toronto in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> oh god i really do miss one through eight conference seating for the for the playoffs but stuff like this is really (laughs) having the leafs have to look their demons in the face every (laughs) every year is amazing like tampa bay got some time to regroup right like after every devastating loss like it wasn't just the same story for them over and over until they won toronto's just like (laughs) it is the same story it's like they they are the washington pittsburgh series of of the atlantic like until they beat Boston, until they win our first round, it's uh, the same old story. Dormammu, I'm here to lose in the first round again. You don't watch. You, you haven't watched Doctor Strange. Have you watched Doctor no, Strange? I understood. The yeah, difference. thank you. The Red Wings today lost 11 to two to the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm going to read off some stats from our good, and I use this word loosely, friend Prashanth Iyer. No, uh, he's that group <laughs> chat exists solely. To make us as sad as he is. I, at this point, I want the stats because I don't want, we've taken on so much pain. I don't want to leave any unearthed. Yeah. Cause I don't think, I think the fan base knows it's bad, but I don't think they know just how bad it is. I, I'm going to steal one for me to start just cause I don't think as it stands right now, now, if it holds up for the rest of the year, this iteration of the Detroit Red Wings would be the worst defensive team since a year where the first number in that year was a one the year 1103 believe it or not yeah wow. it's been a while no was it 1998 today is the ninth time the wings have given up seven plus in a game that's the most since the 95 96 oilers who did it nine times and the 95 96 sharks who did it 14 times so we're talking like almost 30 years uh, also the first time a team has allowed 11 or more goals in a game since Florida in 0203 when Dave Lewis was head coach of the Detroit Red Wings I'm pretty sure and the wings goals against per game play per games played is at um, a level that has not been seen since the 9596 Islanders at 3.84 per game and the 9596 sharks at 4.35 historic. This one is uh, NHL watcher tweeted this one out. The Red Wings have given up 71 goals in their last 14 games in just over a month. That's 5.07 goals against per game average. This is where that stat gets even better. In those 14 games, the Red Wings recorded a shutout. (laughs) Holy shit. So let's subtract one of those games out of there. everybody's joker origin story is different this is ours i want to have this conversation in a different way because here's what we do when all the times the red wings have gotten blown out the 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 toronto game which they actually 
you know, scored and almost competed in. Um, the Arizona game that they got absolutely thumped in. What was another one where they let in a trillion goals? There's too many to rem- like to individually name them. <sighs> Any game where the Red Wings have given up a ton of goals early on and they were just out of it and then it was basically survival for 60 minutes. Here's what we do. We break down what went wrong in the game. We break down, you know, where the weak spots are, and then we have the discussion, whose fault is this? Can you really blame Jeff Blashill? Can you really blame, you know, the defense? Can you really blame the goaltending? Whatever. We uh, can't yes, to all. We can't do that every time because this isn't gonna stop. And eventually your ears just listen to the old episode where we did that. <laughs> yeah. Eventually your ears are gonna fall off and we can't be held liable for that medical bill. Podcasting doesn't pay enough for that. Evan is the only one who can afford that, and he will not ever give you one red cent. What I want to do is discuss, regardless of culpability, regardless of whether we are getting historically bad goaltending, and that is why this is happening, regardless of whether or not the Red Wings' best left-handed defenseman is a guy who's not even particularly good at the defensive side of the game, and he's only been on the team for a week. Regardless of whether they have like three and a half good forwards right now and Adam Ernie on the second line, has this happened so often, too often, where all of it is immaterial and a change has to happen no matter what? Yes. And, you know, that's coded. I'm going to, I'm not going to beat around the bush on this one. Do you have to make a change from Jeff Blashill no matter what, even if you don't think this is on him? Depends how committed you are to the draft pick. Honestly, that's the answer. Um, as much as people are looking for me to yell and scream about how poor this coaching is, my position on it's pretty well known. So I don't feel like I need to repeat that. Uh, but yeah, so this isn't, I'll start by saying this. This isn't just Jeff Blashill. No. The fact that this is happening so frequently and so often, it can't just be Blashill. Bad teams trip and fall into wins. Bad teams trip and fall into being accidentally competent more often than the Red Wings do. Like it's they're NHL players still. You throw them out there with no system, they'll win a few games. Like it's it's hockey. It's a pretty random sport. But a lot of it is Blashill. A lot of it is the talent. A lot of it is the goaltending. When you have a team that is this historically bad almost everything has to go wrong beyond just one factor you could argue Blashill's the biggest factor because he controls a lot of the things going on in the ice and that's fair and I probably do side on that side of the argument Blashill can't go out there and stop the pucks himself anymore Blashill can't go out and teach Olio Levy, how to stop someone from going wide. He can't teach Danny DeKaiser's body to function. He can't teach <laughs> syphilis. He can't teach Philip Ronick when and when not to make a pass when that puck is on his stick. He can give them hints and clues and, you know, systems and, and stuff to help. And I don't think he's done a particularly good job of that, but everything is going wrong. Everything. And his solutions, at least the few solutions or band-aids, I should call them, that a coach can put on a bad team don't work. A bad co- uh, sorry, a good coach with a bad team can create some pretty good special teams to help balance out a game. Um, a pretty good coach can develop the younger players to have them exceed expectations. A pretty good coach can, 
you know, implement a system to make a team not so porous defensively. Hell, Jeff Blashill did that last season. And don't know what the hell happened here. So, yeah, there, Blashill should be able to minimize the damage, and he has not. He's exacerbated it. But that does not let any single player on that ice off the hook. Not one. Like, there's, there's four guys on this Red Wings team who I can sit here and go, over the grand scheme of the season, they've been good. That's it. To your point, the expected goals across all situations in this game, 3.73 to 3.56 in favor of Pittsburgh. You can round that up to four if you want. And you're talking Detroit let in seven additional goals based on what was expected. Oh, and that's happened more than a few times this year. Now, the black and white view is, hey, bad goalies are bad and they're letting in bad goals. Fair. Other people would say, well, yeah, bad goalies are created by everything that happened to them leading up to said moments in time and the defense the Red Wings have trotted out all year. Oh, yeah, the Red Wings goalies have seen some shit and they are probably tired. Calvin Pickard, notwithstanding, because he hasn't been here most of the year. But there's a reason he's an AHL goalie. So, yeah. you know, keep that in context. And, you know, it's Ndelkovic's full season, first full season, and he's doing it behind this defense. All of it's understandable. You just didn't think it would go this far off the rails. The Red Wings today, this was their starting defense. On the right side, they had Sider, I think true number one pairing, right-handed defenseman. Phil Peronik, who at least on an average team can be, uh, you know, seen as a second pairing right-handed defenseman. I'm not even sure about that anymore. On this Red Wings team, it's... On this Red Wings team, yes. Better on, than expected. On a fringe playoff team, he's probably a bottom pairing guy. Gustav Lindstrom, who again on this Red Wings team is fine to have on the third pairing. Who on a contender is probably the seventh defenseman. On the left side, on the first pairing with Mort Sider, they had Jordan Osterley, who in my mind is the seventh defenseman. On any NHL team. Generously. Yep. Oli Yolevi, who I don't think has an... From what I've seen, I don't think has an NHL, consistent NHL future. Fair. And Jake Wallman, who might actually be, based on who dressed tonight, Detroit's best left-handed defenseman. And his good aspects of his game are offensive. Everything you said is right, Brad. This is wretched all the way through. Like the, the team is just not equipped to handle this, but at the same time, it's a professional NHL team. And I know I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here. I just read out how exactly how horribly bad this defense is constructed, but that doesn't getting shelled to the tune of, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven goals. Just you can't have that happen this often like with this kind of regularity it's immaterial who you want to blame um uh eiserman season on twitter the way he phrased it uh you have to force this team to play guilty you know you move on from a coach and guys in the room are going to take that personally they're going to think this is an indictment on us what else was he supposed to do we're out we're the ones out here shit in the bed every night we're the ones out here not showing up for games and going down four or five goals you know, 10 minutes in, we lost this guy, his job. And that changes the way a team plays. Look what happened in Vancouver. Look what happened in Montreal. I mean, I, I with Montreal, Marty St. Louis walked into the room and flexed his quads and then they all wised up, but still. Yeah, his calves are out of control. Massive. But 
I I'm I'm closer every day to thinking it actually doesn't matter. The argument doesn't really matter whether or not you think this is on Blashill. I I just can't see this being sustainable for the Red Wings. You can't fire the whole team. You're, there's going to be a lot of turnover, but you can't fire everyone. Right now, you can't move on from Nedeljkovic. It'd be stupid to, in my mind. And who else do you have? He showed yesterday that he can still play. Yeah, he's he deserved that win over Tampa Bay, in my mind. Um, and he had a shutout what a week ago. Like he's he's stringing together good games in between the disasters. The disasters are happening far too frequently. The nature of NHL coaching is that it's a very unforgiving position where you are often the first one on the block, even though it's not entirely fair. And at this point. Look at the balance of the rosters Jeff Blaschel has had. Yeah, it's probably still there's still a good argument to be made as to whether it's fair or not. But I don't want Mo Sider. I don't want Lucas Raymond. I don't want Dylan Larkin and anyone else in this Red Wings core to have to sit through these losses time and time and time again. So here's where I'm gonna big brain it a little bit. And I think I, I think we had a very similar conversation like three weeks ago after another like 8-1 or whatever the hell loss it was. Jeff Lashell's had three years of borrow time. Like I, I've been pretty much off this train for a while, but hey, everything has context. Everybody can improve everything. So, you know, whatever, give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not disagreeing with you that it's, we need to move on from Jeff Blashell, but I think we missed that window by about two months because what happened to Vancouver and Montreal and these teams that replaced their coaches? It, what happened is exactly what you said would happen. They went on hot streaks. Is now the time for the Red Wings to go on a hot streak? And no, no. I, 12th. Are these 18 games really, or 19 or whatever it is going to make a difference? No. I'm saying you do this in the summer. I think you, <clears throat> yeah, you wait till the dust settles at this point. Like what, like you said, like another 18 games, like what the hell is, who cares? Really? I mean, that's such a terrible thing to say because nobody wants to go into a game and get absolutely shelled and be like, what the hell are we doing out here? But like, what's another 18 games in the grand scheme of everything that has led up to this moment? Yeah. Cause as much as I hate watching this team right now, what would piss me off more is we go on a hot streak and we dra- we, and we, we pick- land 13th. Yeah, like that would be the most Red Wings thing that's ever Red Wingsed. Uh, just this season's lost. I think even Larkin had a quote today saying, "Yeah, we're just playing to build for next year at this point," which is absolutely unbelievable to hear from a player with almost twenty games left. But hey, I'm glad he was being honest because he's not wrong. I do have worries. Like I said, my biggest concern about Blashill for years is he seems to be an exceptionally poor evaluator and developer of talent and young talent. And I feel like there's been a lot of prospects in the Red Wings system who have not lived up to their potential. I think he's a lot. I think he's a big part of that, but man, bringing in a guy for 18 games is not going to fix Philip Zadina this year. It's not going to fix Michael. It's the wrong time to really do it there. You can't build momentum and rapport as a new coach in 18 games. Cause you're basically coming in, you're looking at guys who got their like limbs blown off. Like it's like a the saddest sack of people you've ever seen. And like, what the hell is that guy supposed to do? Like, it's not the time for you know if Bruce Brudro, Bruce, Bruce, Bruce. 
Bruce. He comes in earlier. He can motivate the team, and now they're almost in the playoffs. Like they've turned it around completely, and that was the correct time to do that. When you got 18 games left, like you just just ride it out. And if bringing in a new coach and you find the correct person to do it in the offseason, start building some positive <laughs> momentum, that's probably better than doing it right now because 18 games are done. Pff, these guys are out of here. They're on vacation. See you in September. And also, if you bring in a coach now, and I was just thinking about it, 16 games. So it's even less than we thought because we're going to have played 66. But um a coach isn't going to have enough time to build rapport or it's not even the right situation to build rapport with the players right now because they're coming in and like Evan said, they're just cleaning up a mess at this point. The coach is going to be all, you know, the new hires, they're all chipper, high energy. And these guys are like, get me the f- out of here. Shut the F up. What are you doing? In here? Yeah. Get out of here. Shut up. Someone's yeah. sharpening a shiv in the corner. It's yeah. That, it's that 8 a.m. class on a Monday morning in, in uh university and that just obnoxiously happy professor walks into the room and everybody's just like, Oh, screw you. That's, that's all that would happen right now. So, but you give him a full off season where they, he can have one-on-one meetings with the players, come up with off season game plans, can get an idea for what the system needs to be, can get a feel for the team. Everybody's in that mode of, I am glad that's over. And they're looking forward to a fresh new start. And that's the better situation. And again, this is all completely unfair. Not completely unfair, but like really unfair to Jeff Blasio because we're already talking like he's definitely done, which I don't think we can say for sure. I If if someone could confidently tell me that it's above 50% that he's gone this offseason, I'd ask them what they know that we don't. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, they've watched the air. That's what they know. But <laughs> here's another thing, right? You. If you're Eisenman, you're not bringing in another coach to get rid of him in a couple of years. Like you want, if you're making this move now, when the Red Wings really, we were probably too ambitious in terms of how far away they were from competing. I think, I think we got a little bit of a tease. Yeah. They're not close right now to competing as they are. We never know what Eisenman's going to do in this offseason. You moment- don't want to hire more than one coach. And so you have to make sure you get the right guy. And that takes time and that takes luck. There was a version of the Tampa Bay Lightning that lost, I can't remember the game, but like a key game in overtime, which might have lost them a series, which might have stopped them from losing their first cup. And I genuinely believe that the Tampa Bay Lightning were very close to letting go of John Cooper. And I think, based on what I knew at the time, that Steve Eisman would have pounced had John Cooper become available. That obviously didn't happen. Tampa Bay won two in a row. They're fighting for a third. Here we are. It's all to demonstrate you have to find the right guy and it has to be the right situation. You have to hope that he's available. Like that they're available. Like it's, you can't, it's not just snap a finger, bring in a new, new coach. You don't want to do that more than once. And there's so much more to it than just on ice performance and what we perceive through the media. Like GMs and coaches are constantly working with each other and how Steve Eiserman and Jeff Blaschel and the coaching team sort of works together. Like that would give upper management a better idea. Like, like you, you go into a meeting with someone and you hear them just blowing smoke out their ass. You're like, what the hell is this person talking about? Yeah. And uh, you know what? It, it, so they've got a far better inside to really know, does does this coaching staff really have what it takes to be winners and to motivate this group and take them to the next level or not? So I think that's, you know, as much as like we see everything on ice and all the terrible sound bites that come out of <laughs> players and coaches after losses like this. Like if Eisenman still has a great collaboration with him and still believes in him, regardless of these losses, then 
like I don't know, like there's so much more to it than just the on ice, yeah, yeah. and off ice shit, right? The one pushback I will have on the timing of the coach is even if your next coach is just a guy because you think they're still two, three years away from competing, it's still worth doing if you believe the coach has reached a point where he's actively harming the future of the team. I just can't imagine that line it was just crossed right now, right? It's what no, you said. It was- yeah, this is we're not talking one game here. We're talking about the fact that the Red Wings have given up seven or more goals more times than any team in whatever ridiculously long timeline it's been. I can't remember all of Prashant's stats. They're all just obnoxiously bad in my head right now. But the Red Wings are setting a lot of historic records for how bad this season has been. And if you think that losing games like this constantly is demoralizing to the team to the point where it's going to mentally affect them long term, or you think that, like I mentioned, he's actively stunting the development of a Zadina or a Rasmussen, which may or may not be true. Like it's, There's no way to know, but you have to make an educated guess. Then you you have to. You don't have a choice. You get whatever coach that you think is going to do at least a better job than that and see what happens. Kind of like in Montreal with Martin St. Louis. Martin St. Louis, there's no coaching way to do his he, daughter's yeah. team or something. Yeah. That's his coaching experience. They're like, whatever. He might be good. He's going to be better than the guy we had at worst, and we'll see what comes of it. So now, that being said, with where the Red Wings are in the rebuild, and we had the conversation at the trade deadline of, you know, what's the actual core of this team? What's the actual timeline of this team? You can absolutely cherry pick a coach around that if, if you want. Like you, that's definitely an option. And that is definitely the ideal option. But if that ideal candidate is not out there, if that archetype of this is the coach we need right now is not available, that should not stop them from making a move if they think a move needs to be made. If you end up with just like a two-year guy to stop the bleeding. Mike Babcock. Oh. Ken Hitchcock. Oh, please, I can't. But, uh, yeah, so. John Tortorella. (laughs) Don't joke. Don't joke because you know what? Anyways. Hey. Just don't joke. (laughs) John Tortorella for the content. John Tortorella for the first three years of any team he coaches. Who is the best? You need to least. Stop. We're talking about stop caps. There you go. Who's the best least physical player on the on the Detroit Red Wings? He will hate them. Oh, great! Philip Zadina is never making it <laughs> in the NHL. The best least physical player. Uh, that's Lucas Raymond, my dude. No, Lucas Raymond is physical, my man. Lucas Raymond gets into scrums. And Lucas Raymond finishes his. Michael Rasmussen will play twenty plus <laughs> minutes every game. No. He's not physical. No, I'm just saying that's <laughs> who will be on the first line. <laughs> Anyhow. Okay. Oh, God. I, why do we have to keep having conversations like this? This team is slowly killing me. Slowly. Time's slowly Ra- killing actually, me. Actually, yeah, lately, rapidly. You're right. Lately, it's been very rapid. Um, I made my I made all of my despondent you know, tweets today and, and jokes and stuff. And like, this is absolutely insane at like seven, two. And they still scored four goals after that. <laughs> <laughs> there was still 20 minutes, Ryan, you should have known there is there. There's always with these conversations. Like I'm not complaining about this. I'm just recognize it, recognizing it. There's always a lot of pushback in either direction, no matter what we say, especially regarding blast show. And I mean it when I say I have moved on internally from, is it blast fault to, is this just you got to pull the parachute when you're in free fall it's it's regardless of whether it's not Blat, it's Blashill's fault the nature of the NHL is that sometimes the coach has to be the guy 
And if it is his fault, great. And if it wasn't, then it might do something to motivate the players. And the other question that comes to me is what Prashant has raised over the last little while and the discussions we've been having, um, both on this pod and outside of it, is where do you go on this rebuild? Do you start to make aggressive moves to capitalize on this next draft pick and then try to trampoline from here and advance on this core and take advantage of Larkin, Bertuzzi, and Verona based on their age? Or do you do the quote-unquote re-rebuild where you commit to maybe another one, two, or maybe more years on top of what we've been expecting to make more at Cider, Lucas Raymond age group, the real core of your team moving forward. Because if it's the latter, that's a big commitment. But if it's the former, then, you know, you have to start making these moves aggressively because you can't have this happen next season. No matter what, it's becoming more and more clear to me that I think Prashant is right. You can't fence sit on this. The Red Wings need to diverge into one direction or the other either way and soon like i'm talking this off season next trade deadline like well, we need to have UFAs a direction do they have that could be another a whole lot that see that's a whole nother thing is like okay this group is clearly not imp- well the people who we can get rid of easily are not improving where we would keep them so one solution is we'll just get rid of them and figure out and, and pull and retool somehow and see if we can reclaim some of some other players that we bring into the organization yeah so circling back to this I, I know i talked about this after the trade deadline but i feel it bears repeating i think it's pretty obvious what the core of this team is going to be when the wings are contending and it's the cider raymond age bracket because we talked for years on this podcast you cannot build championship teams in this iteration of the NHL without superstars now, we were talking about that in the context of how angry angry we were that the Rings kept losing draft lotteries because that's where 90% of the superstars in the NHL come from. Cider and Raymond have changed things. Yeah. Those guys are legitimately stars. They found those first and second overall quality players outside of first and second overall, which we always said was the hope and the prayer that maybe miracles come true and it's kind of happened. So... We don't almost need to focus so much on the Red Wings' upcoming draft positions because you have two very core pieces in place. Plus, it looks like Kosa could be the goalie, and they have a stable full of other very, very good prospects in the same age range. That doesn't mean punt Larkin, Vrana, uh, Bertuzzi, and you know whoever in that age group into the sun. You cannot win a championship of a team where everybody's under the age of 27. No team does that. You can keep a few of them. The what this boils down to for me is you cannot overpay for those guys, and if they demand way too much, you get rid of them. I don't care if it's Bertuzzi or Larkin or Vrana or who the hell ever. You have to keep them cost controlled at a very reasonable rate, or else, yeah, they're not going to be worth it for the rebuild. And you trade, you know, hypothetically a Bertuzzi for whatever first round picks and prospects you can get, and then that age group is closer to the current core. So it doesn't mean you have to basically sell. And I think that's where a lot of people got scared when we had that conversation was, we're not trading Bertuzzi, Larkin, and Verona. Are you are you crazy? No, no, you can keep them. You just have to be very careful about how you do it. And if they price themselves out of Detroit, whether that be through average or term, okay, then you have to make some tough choices. But we're not there yet. <laughs> And it doesn't mean the Red Wings have to phone it in next year and start the rebuild from scratch. They can 
improve the team this offseason and still follow the correct path of building the championship around Sider, Raymond, and Coach. The Red Wings could bring in, like, a, make a, a good trade, bring in someone who's cost-controlled, pick up a UFA, bring in Bergeron and Edmondson, and the team, we feel so much better about the team. It's also, yeah, and and there are different directions to this, and you guys are right. This isn't like a select and apply to all solution. And maybe we're guilty of speaking too much in generalities, and we need to get more into detail, but... Yeah, I hate these words, but Brad's right. Like, <laughs> you need to like you need to understand that there are differing situations, player by player. And when you say like maximize assets, that doesn't mean make Moritz Sider, Moritz Sider, your oldest player on the Red Wings. Like, it's just not realistic. And certain guys are going to be kept because they can be kept at the right price, and certain guys are going to be sold because someone came in and offered what Washington offered for Anthony Mantha. Like. If it was that easy, we'd be the GM of the Red Wings, right? There's a, there's a reason it's a little bit more difficult than this. One thing that should be mentioned, and I'm glad you used the term maximizing assets, because we talk about that a lot. I thought you were going to say use the term Brad's right. <laughs> oh, thank God. But, but maximizing assets could mean if Dylan Larkin on the market is worth a $9 million a year contract for eight years, and he's willing to sign in Detroit for eight by six, that's probably how you maximize the value out of Dylan Larkin. It's not by getting a, a mountain of first yeah. round picks. Six very affordable years of Dylan Larkin is how you maximize Dylan Larkin. Now, if he comes in and goes, give me 11 mil a year or I'm walking. All right. Now we're going to go see how many first round picks we can get. Like yeah. that's how you maximize the asset. You take whichever option is going to be better. It doesn't mean maxing out on the trade and the trade only. Well, you know, to think that these last 16 games are going to be dull. <laughs> okay, before we move uh, to our next segment here, which is a fun one with Tony Ferrari, I first want to tell you that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, a sponsor that finally gives us hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement in the game, which was absolutely needed today. Uh, there's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day, tons of fun with unique bet types like same game parlays and exclusive promos on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings safely uh, back in as little as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win that first bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. Okay. Uh, now for our next segment, a thankfully happier one, and that is with our good friend of the podcast and excellent, excellent, um, expert in the world of 
prospects and NHL future NHL player scouting, Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News and Sports Illustrated. Tony walks us through what is coming up for the 2022 NHL draft, not only from the CHL top prospect game, but also the rest of the world of hockey, the US NTDP overseas, the rest of the CHL that wasn't in that game. Uh, Tony's insights are fantastic, and he is indeed the best ball draft analyst. So thank you, Tony, for being on the show again. And without further ado, folks, enjoy that interview. We were told we have the license to introduce uh, our guest today however we want, um, <laughs> but for the sake of making him uh, feel okay about coming back on the show for future prospect talks, I'll do it. I'll do it safely here. Ladies and gentlemen, returning to the show, good friend of the podcast, prospect expert, Tony Ferrari of the Hockey News, and from my interesting hometown of Windsor, Ontario. Tony, welcome back to the show. Oh, the bald king is back, boys. Uh, yeah. And, and lovely Windsor, Ontario is in the background. I've got my window cracked so we can smell the freshness of the air. Yeah, that's what you can smell for sure. <laughs> I live right on the river, so you know the water's good. Oh, yeah. yeah but yeah, I mean, the closer you are to the distillery, the closer you are to that that actually really beautiful smell driving down. Yeah, the side. it's not too, too bad. So, Tony, it is nearly April, which means we are in the thick of draft prospect season, uh, as was evidenced by the fact that we met in the flesh for the first time, which felt weird because I feel like it had already happened uh, at the CHL Top Prospects game in uh, just our in our backyard the other day. So, what's it like in your world right now? And uh, and let's just intro by talking about that game. Oh man, that was that game was fun because it was that on a, a big scale for me because I joked uh, with a few people. I'm like, I'm not even going up for the game. I care less what happens or who, what players are even there. I just want to meet people that I've known for like three years and haven't been able to meet because of this pandemic. But like you guys and like there was a bunch of scouts and other media members and everything that I was able to like walk up to, shake hands, give hugs. And it was just it was nice to see people again because we haven't seen people out. Like we've had these little tiny times where the lockdowns have been lifted here in Ontario. But for the most part, this was like the first big event where like it wasn't this thing where we all had to like get medical tests before we walked in. And it felt weird. Like I was at the arena all day pretty much hanging out and just doing my thing. So it, it was fun to see, fun to be around. And yeah, like meeting you guys, meeting everybody. It was a good time. And you are only the fifth person uh, after Evan's own parents and myself and Brad to meet Evan in the flesh. So congratulations on oh, that. I, I asked for an autograph, but as soon as I got Can I Get a, he was gone. It was amazing. He, he was so fast. It was McDavid level speeds. So other than trying to uh, eavesdrop on the uh, various GMs who are in the building, uh, what were your takeaways from, again, like you said, that very limited kind of awkward one sample size game? It was a fun game. It was more competitive than they usually are. I, I feel like these these top prospect games are a, like a halfway point between an all-star game and a real game a lot of years where you, you see some of the, the defenses trying and everyone's doing their jobs, but there's not the level of physicality that we got in this year's game. And I thought that was really fun because it wasn't just physicality for, for physicality sense. It was Noah Warren putting Shane Wright through a wall and Shane, in uh, uh, who was it? Uh, Matthew Savoy throwing hits on other guys. I think he threw a hit on Jagger Furcus that knocked Furcus off his ass. But like, it was a ton of fun to see these guys actually engage physically. And then the skill on display was really fun too. And at the end of the day, I think everyone noticed it on the power plays probably more than anything. These guys are all new to each other. They barely, a lot of, a lot of them met for the first time this week. So getting on a power play, the cohesiveness wasn't always there, but it was a really fun game. Well, 
I think one of the things that stood out with the game too was the overall defense. It was a essentially a three one All Star game, uh, which you don't often see, and uh, specifically Team White with Matejchuk <laughs> and Pickering. Uh, were there any like real standouts on the blue line for you? Because that's where my attention gravitated towards most of the game. Yeah, I think the two guys on the blue line, one from each team that stood out was both WHL guys. And it was Pickering on, on Team White and Korczynski on Team Red. I think Pickering, you you watch this kid and he has all these raw tools and he's making all these flash plays. And I thought he had a really good game overall in, in general. So you, you're able to kind of see what he could be at that next level. And he's a guy that I think is a perfect target for Detroit because they like to get these guys that are big, rangy, have all the tools and need to bring it together. And Detroit's done a good job, as we've seen in the last few years, of getting those guys and putting the tools together. And Korczynski's a little bit more refined, a little bit more uh, cerebral, I think, uh, especially in the offensive zone. But the kid's transition game so far fun to watch his ability to kind of escape pressure and just find open space or find an open passing lane and get the puck up ice it's, it's incredible and and then when he gets in the offensive zone some of the the freelancing he does the spins the moves of to evade traffic and everything it, it's a ton of fun to watch this kid and he to me he's the modern day two-way defenseman yeah and one guy that i wasn't sure about based on his rankings going in was actually the captain for team white uh Matejchuk. not the biggest defense in the world and, and no individual skills that really pop off the page but i did find my eye gravitating towards him a lot that game especially when he had the puck on his stick because he was very active with it and very aggressive with it is that something that's pretty typical of him or was it just he had a, a really good game no, honestly, I think that was a pretty typical Matejchuk game because there was also a couple times where he got walked a little bit and his defensive lapses were kind of there a little bit as well. But the the skating, the elusiveness, and he doesn't have that that raw speed or that – I don't know if he's got quite the transitional ability as, as Korchinski, at least translatable transitional ability. But he's got the evasiveness. He's got this, the, the puck skills. And then in the offensive zone, he's got a ton of creativity. He's probably outside of maybe Pavel Mintyukov for the OHL – He's probably the most uh, creative offensive defenseman in the draft. His ability to kind of dip, dive, duck, and dodge through traffic and, and, and do all these things with the puck. It's really fun to watch. There's a little bit of question of like, how much is he going to be able to do that at the next level, especially at his size, because he is a 5'10 defender. And you look at him and go, there aren't many 5'10 defenders that can do what he does at the NHL level. You look at maybe a Sam Girard as, a, as an example or a Ryan Ellis, and you're like, but they had to rein a lot of that stuff in when they got to the next level. So could could he be that for sure? But there's also a worry that he ends up being a, a TJ Brennan who just scores a ton in the AHL and then kind of plays a few fun years in Europe. I don't know if we really got the five Ds out of him though, because nobody threw a wrench. So yeah, that's fair. I guess we'll have to find out on that one. Uh, before we jump to the uh, before I jump to the forwards, which I think is probably the most interesting conversation of this, I do want to talk about the goaltenders a little bit. Like specifically Reed Dick, because I had not even heard this guy's name before this game. And we all know goalies can have hot games, cold games, hot stretches, cold stretches. But man, he got in one Wednesday night yeah. and absolutely stood on his head. So you think he kind of threw his name into the ring for maybe getting drafted after being what the 26th ranked North American goalie or something like that. Well, I mean, this is the NHL we're talking about. So one hot game probably gets him drafted. So uh, I, I won't be shocked, but yeah, he's a guy that honestly, I'll be completely honest. I only knew of him because of his name is a great name. Um, but overall, like I've watched him a couple times this year previously, and he's never really stood out or impressed on, on any major level. 
Um, but yeah, maybe this is the kind of game that he has on a big stage as some team goes, oh, remember, remember that three save sequence where he robbed everybody and had a ton of fun and, and I was sitting up in the press box and throughout the entire game, the press box is pretty, pretty recluse and down and, and calm and everything. And the only pop from the press box was that, that one three save sequence where he made two pad saves and then a great glove save right in front of the net. And everyone in the press box was like, Oh, and they all went up, whether it was the GMs that were up there, the scouts that were up there, or even the media. It was, it was a pretty fun little sequence, but he's going to get drafted off that sequence if we know anything from the NHL. <laughs> When you can go full windmill on the national stage, you have oh. to go full windmill on the national stage. But yeah, uh, yeah so, so let's get into the forwards though, because this is where it got fascinating to me. Because in the CHL, I don't never got the impression that this was an overly deep forward group for the upcoming draft. And um, the two premier names, I guess we'll call it for this uh, game in particular, was Shane Wright and Matt Savoy, who. In my opinion, both had strong games. Savoy was a little more noticeable in this particular one, although in typical Shane Wright fashion, you barely noticed him, and then you realized he didn't make many bad plays and had a goal. What what did you make of their games relative to their peers? Well, I think Shane Wright, the first half of the game, was probably the best player on the ice. He was, he's such a complete smart player. Um, I, I've said a few times that I don't know if he's exactly a good defensive player himself, but he plays really well within a system and understands where to be kind of. So it's not that he's going to be a Patrice Bergeron, but I see him more of that Ryan O'Reilly type player where he, he's able to kind of be in the right spot, make the right play, make the smart pass to get transition up ice. And then he's not going to be the primary guy carrying it in transition. He'll get up the ice and make good play offensively and, and be this just smart in every aspect of the game. And you saw that every shift in the first two periods, first period and a half of this game, especially on that goal. He drives the net. It's in perfect spot, converts on the pass from Jokin and just opens the scoring for the entire game. And then Savoy, the kid is just so damn fun. He's electric when he has the puck on his stick. I know there are a lot of people that say he doesn't have the separation speed, but I think we saw some of the separation speed in this game. Like we saw these little events. Um, you, you go back to the testing at this event uh, on the day before where they had kind of combine style testing and Savoy was the one that won basically everything, especially the on ice tests. And, and to Shane Wright's credit, he was right up there second place in most things and in third place in others. But for the most part, it was Matthew Savoy putting on a show and he did it in the game as well. There was a couple net drives, a couple of really nice uh, hits he threw. And, and then honestly, he was one of the guys that I'm like, he didn't score, but I felt like he should have had a few points on this, in this game. So the big question with Savoy for me, because I I mean, we all watched that game. We all had the same takeaway. He was so noticeable. Um, he's listed as a center, but he's also about the size of Brad yeah. in all reality. So does this guy project to be a center at the NHL level? Is there a possibility? And I'm just warning you now, if you say no, it, you are legally required to to tell us what makes a center project as a center at the NHL level. So I will start with this. I think he should be a center at the NHL level. I think the the difference between a center and a winger is your ability to play off the middle of the ice and play in space. And I think that's what really makes Savoy specialist, his ability to play in space. I think he does it a different way than Shane Wright, but Shane Wright's able to kind of manipulate opponents, kind of read and react and, and just attack little little pockets of space, whereas Savoy creates the attack. He pressures, pressures and pushes guys back on their heels and then makes plays out of that space in the middle of the ice. I think that's a really big defining factor. Whereas you look at a guy like, say, Yurov Slikovsky, I know he's not in the CHL, but he's the kind of the premier winger in this draft class. And his game is so strong along the board, so strong off the wing and doing things like that. So I think that's kind of the difference between those two. But the one thing I will say about Matthew Savoy in this game is 
He was listed on the lineup sheet as a right uh, on the right wing. He played right wing the majority of the game, and uh, it was interesting to see that. And I think that was uh, some NHL scouts' decisions to kind of ask for that because I think that's where NHL teams project him. Um, I think uh, Brayden Point had kind of similar uh, treatment at the same time in his uh, career, and we look at him now as one of the premier centers in the NHL. So I still think Matthew Savoy projects as a center personally. Um, I think he's going to have to earn every rep at center he gets, but I, I do think he can get there. And at the end of the day, with a player like Matthew Savoy and the dynamism and skill and ability to, like I said, put guys on the back of their heels the way he does, whether he's on the center of the wing, I don't think you really need to change your ranking on him. I think he's still a guy that you look at in the top five, for me at least personally, in the top five, and I go, that's a guy that I don't care if he's playing center or winger. He's going to be the difference maker on a line. You stole my question because that was just what I was going to ask about. So I'm going to transition off of this then and we'll get to the team uh, white player of the game. Because if you mentioned Braden Point and we're going to talk about an undersized, high scoring, lowly ranked uh, forward out of Moose Jaw in the WHL. Can't not bring up Jager Furcus right now, uh, who had two points in that game. And like I said, was player of the game. So what are we missing here? Why is this guy not a consensus top 20 pick? Uh, because he's small. And I, it's, that's the reality of it. Like uh, On my board, he's currently sitting at 21. So it's not like he's completely out of the, that range for a lot of people. And But I, I do think there is the element of, is he going to get pushed around? Is he going to be able to kind of work off the boards? He is a guy that I think kind of projects as that winger. I think he does do a really good job at using the lanes on the outside and then cutting to the middle. And, and I think that's where his strength is. I think we talked about that a little bit beforehand as well. But with a guy like uh, with uh, Jaeger Furcus, he, he just does so much and he's so skilled and so persistent and his motor never really stops that he's a guy that I think he's going to outplay his skill level, even though his skill level is fairly high. And, and I think that's the big difference with him as a player. And I think for me, that means he should be a first round pick for sure. I think he should be a top 20 pick probably. Like I said, I have him at 21 right now. And I, I don't know what other people are seeing. I think there's, I think every year we see kind of people not watch the WHL because to watch the games, you're staying up till 10 o'clock at night or you're having to go back and watch old games and everything. So it's really interesting to see. But man, like the, the, the skill in this kid, the pace of the, uh, of the game he plays with, uh, there's nothing that I can't really knock in this kid's game outside of maybe some lackadaisical defense, but I'll take it with this kid. All right. Dealer's choice now. Anyone we haven't mentioned or anybody's that you think need to be talked about more uh, relative to this game specifically and how they played or guys who were just in this game combined with the rest of their season that we should be talking about a lot more. Ooh, I'll, I'll go with a little one, a little bit of an off the board one to start, and that's Matthias Sapovalov. I think I'm pronouncing that right from Saginaw Spirit. Uh, he he was the penalty kill in this game, basically for his team. Uh, he, he was consistently dominant on the penalty kill, pressuring. Uh, he was the guy up high. I think the the one issue with him is he's a six foot four guy with some mobility issues, but he's so smart defensively. He reads the plays really well. Um, he kind of tracks a little bit similar to Samuel Hellenius from a couple years ago in the draft, where he's going to be like a third line guy, probably a, a good defensive specialist. And every once in a while, he's got some offensive pop. I think there were a few times in this game where he was getting to the front of the net and creating havoc there and creating some chances and stuff there. So he's got a lot of those projectable stat, projectable characteristics that you look for, but he's not a guy that has the super, super high ceiling. Whereas a guy like uh, a Ty Nelson, who's a defenseman playing for North Bay, has that high ceiling, but he's got a basement b- bottom floor because as a five, 
generously listed at 5'9", defenseman. Um, he really kind of struggles sometimes with that that physical disadvantage. But in his defense, like I, I talked to him at the game or before the game after the practices, and he's jacked. Like this is a tanked out kid. He's yoked. So, and we see that a lot of times on the ice where he is able to kind of physically match bigger players. So for me, it's going to be about him getting a little bit more positionally sound defensively and everything and, and opening up his game a little bit because North Bay this year, you saw at the start of the year where he was a little bit more freelancer. He was a little bit more of being able to get up in the play, be a little bit of a rover and create offense like he does. And he probably has the best shot among defenders in this draft possibly. Like he's got a cannon from the back end, but he's kind of reserved his game a lot this year, um, especially offensively as the year's gone on. And I think that's a lot of North Bay doing that. So there's going to be a lot of people ranking him outside the first round this year, but I think you get him at the end of the first round, early second round, and you got a pretty high end, like high upside prospect that you could be talking about in three to five years where you're like, how is this kid a second rounder? Cause he could be the second or third best defenseman in this class, maybe even the best. So, not Morgan, Connor Geeky. Watching him, you know, you don't have to watch him for very long to understand why he's divisive. <laughs> and I honestly still don't know where I sit on him. I have some serious concerns about the way he skates. It's kind of a hilarious stride, but you can't deny the kid is talented. Let's pretend you're Detroit. Do you even look at Geeky as a potential center option? Does he fit that system? And what do you make of him as a prospect overall? If I'm Detroit, do I look at him, say, Detroit's drafting ninth? Probably not. Um, but once you get outside that 13, 14 area, that's where I think you start looking at him. And honestly, I won't be shocked if he goes ahead of that because he's a six foot four guy, six foot three guy who has a really good shot, has a good, uh, has some really nice vision, soft hands. Uh, defensively, he, he's in position. He lifts sticks and kind of breaks the puck out fairly well. But he is just incredibly immobile, and that's the biggest thing with him is if he can get his skating under control, he can kind of figure out the coordination of his limbs and everything. I think that'll go a long way towards making him possibly one of the top eight players in this draft, top five players in this draft even maybe. But that's a lot to bank on because he has a long way to go skating-wise. I think we look in the past, the guys have had skating issues, and you watch them, and they get they tweak, and they get a little bit better, and they do some things, and they become good NHL players. I think John Tavares is a really good example of that, a guy that coming out of junior, he had a lot of skating issues. But you see him in the NHL now, and, and maybe not so much now. He's still slowing, he's slowing down a bit now at this point. But early on in his uh, New York Islanders career and in his first year, especially with Toronto, you saw him kind of have the legs and get going. He wasn't the fastest guy out there, but he was able to kind of power through and get some speed up and going and everything like that. And Connor Geeky needs a lot further to go than what John Tavares did. And John Tavares still isn't a great skater in the NHL. So I think you look at Connor Geeky and you're like, if you decide to draft him, you have to immediately invest in a skating coach. You immediately have to invest in him trying to figure out his stride because he's got the vision. He's got a good shot, an underrated shot. He's got some underrated defensive aspects, but there's just so much mobility issues. And, and it's just, he's, he's not smart enough either. I don't think and that's sort of rude, but like he's not, uh, he doesn't, his hockey IQ isn't high enough to, accomplish what he needs to without that skating ability. Whereas like I was talking about Matias uh, Sapovala from uh, Saginaw, he doesn't skate as poorly, but he is a poor skater and he, but he has the ability to think his way out of those problems. He understands which paths to take, which, which routes to take on a four check, which routes to take on a back check and everything. So that he ends up being in position when he needs to be. Connor Geeky still doesn't quite understand that aspect of the game. The raw tools are there. 
there's a lot of upside with this kid, but there's a lot of risk with him too. So this might be a good transition in terms of talking about someone with a lot of raw skills, but very unrefined because I'll try to make a long story short here. I was talking with a friend of mine who coaches a U13 team here in Kitchener. And he, one thing he noticed coming out of the pandemic and a lot of kids that missed the season is his team, not in the standings or anything like that, but in terms of development is struggling way more this year than he had, than they have in previous years. And he says it's very noticeable. And he's talked to other coaches in the area and they're saying the same thing. So at the top level, you know, Guys like Shane Wright and a lot of other players in this top prospects game, they didn't play last year at all in their what would have been their CHL rookie seasons, arguably the most important developmental season of their lives. And then you come into this top prospects game and you look at the CHL and there's not quite the same high end talent that there normally is. And it's not as deep as it normally is. And even, you know, a guy like Shane Wright, who's the first overall, people are like, is he as good as we thought? And that seems to be a pretty prevalent theme this year so how much do you think that missed season for most of these players impacted them going into this draft i think it's impacted them a ton and i I said this to people a few times where i think this year we're starting to see guys start to catch on now i think shane wright's a perfect example he's his points per game have gone up every single month since the start of the season. I think uh, last month he was at 1.6 or 1.7 uh, compared to just a point per game at the start of the year. So while he's not going to catch up to the point totals we kind of expected, I think everyone was like, oh, he's going to push 120, 125, could he even reach 150. Like, would that be crazy? Because during that 15-year-old season, his rookie OHL season a couple years ago, he was a guy that outpaced McDavid. He was a guy that was on pace to match Connor or uh, Truck. John Tavares' uh, 15-year-old record in the OHL as a, a exceptional status player. He, like, he was putting up numbers that were comparable to any high-end prospect that's ever been a, an exceptional status player in, in better than almost every single one of them. So everyone's thought this offensive game was going to come, and it slowed down a little bit this year. It, it almost it wasn't even quite the level it was during that 15-year-old season at the start of the season. And I, I think that one thing I've kind of – uh, caution people about is because especially the OHLers have lost a, a full year of development, they may still have that same ceiling that we all kind of saw. It may just be delayed a year. We may start seeing that 150 point season that we're expecting this year, next year for for Shane Wright. Uh, uh, let's be honest, he's not going to be in the OHL, but uh, you, you watch another uh, different guy like Connor Geeky, maybe he gets that development going forward and the skating a little bit and everything. The uh, the only reason I doubt that with him personally is when I talked to him and interviewed him earlier this year, he said that's what he worked on most during the pandemic break, which concerned me a little bit, to be completely honest. But uh, a guy like Shane Wright, I think, has that ability to kind of improve. A, a guy like Yaros Slavkovsky, who's, who's kind of, again, limited action last year, uh, Denton Matejchuk, all these different guys going down the list, Ty Nelson, another OHL, or Pavel Mintyukov, another OHL that came over and then wasn't able to play still. Um you're going to see years of development kind of jump next year. Not everyone's going to be able to catch up to where they previously were, but I do think there are going to be a considerable amount of guys that essentially catch up a year later than we all thought they were going to. All right, Tony, we've had, um, we've had quite a bit here on the CHL for obvious reasons, but we can't ignore what is happening uh, in the US NTDP over in Europe, etc. cetera. Uh, the Red Wings are not going to win the draft lottery. Let's just put that out there. And so they're probably going to have to look elsewhere other than Shane Wright to solve their center issue unless they draft a year check, which would make me happy. Um, of the centers that are in this draft, anybody who can go, you know, 
all the way back to pick 12. What are Detroit's best case scenarios in your mind? I think Logan Cooley would probably be the best case scenario. Um, he was a guy, him and Nazar both. Uh, Nazar is a little bit of an interesting story because he is a winger and a center. He plays both this year. I think he could do either, personally. I think you probably get a little bit more dynamic offensive talent out of him if he played on the wing, but I ha- think he has all the tools to play center. And when he does play center, he does a really good job of it, uh, especially in the defensive zone. He takes that defensive responsibility pretty good, pretty highly. Um, whereas when he is the winger, he plays defense like a winger and doesn't. Um, but with Logan Cooley, I think he's a guy, if you can get him and uh, I've seen with, with guys like Juracek, with guys like uh, Slavkovsky jumping up the board, um, and people kind of putting them in that two, three spot in a lot of cases, Logan Cooley has a chance to be the fourth or fifth guy taken off the board. And at that point, I think you're getting excellent value because for me right now, he's, he's the only player in the same tier as Shane Wright. Um, I, I, I do have a little bit of a gap between them personally, but I think Logan Cooley has a lot of the aspects that you'd want in an NHL center. Uh, he's a May, a May birthday, so he's not super old for this draft class by any means. He's on the younger side. He's a guy that puts up a ton of points plays an excellent two-way game, reads the game well, and, and plays that same kind of smart, uh, just educated game that Shane Wright plays where you, you don't always notice everything he does, but when he does it, you go, oh, wow, he had three points this game. Uh, how did he do that? And then when you look back and you rewatch him, you're like, oh, look at how smart that little play was or, or look at that one-touch pass or, or, hey, watch him kind of sneak into this space here, into that pocket of uh, space in the offensive zone. There's so many little things that he does that aren't noticeable, especially on the, like a first viewing, that I think Logan Cooley is going to end up being a really, really high-end center at the NHL level. Uh, could he be number one? Maybe. or could, He'd probably be a high-end number two if he's not that. So I think there's a lot of projectability with his game. But I think Savoy is still an option. I think Brad Lambert's an option. I think Brad Lambert went from uh, Yippie Vescala and now he's playing with the Pel- uh, the Pelicans in the Liga. He went from a bad team to a worse team and yes, he's playing better and he's getting a little bit more uh, playing time and, and he's started picking up a few points but still nothing that we expected. But he's got so many tools and we hearken back to Lucas Raymond and his draft year. And while they're vastly different players, they're vastly like, stylistically, they're not the same. They, they suffer from the same kind of issues whereas they're a little bit undersized they're playing against men, and they're not really getting a role to succeed. Uh, Brad Lambert, when he was in Yipilvescula, he was uh, he'd start on the second line, he'd play on the fourth line, he'd get thrown on the third line for a couple shifts, and then he'd get thrown out on a second power play unit or something if he got power play time. And now with the Pelicans, he's getting a little bit more consistent playing time, but it's with a team that is just awful to watch. I'll be completely honest with you; like they're, they're really rough to watch. And there's so many times where like he's cutting across the middle, wide open for a pass for a breakaway, and it's like the guy dumps it right by him or something like it's like oh man like there there are so many of these opportunities that he has to to do something that his teammate isn't able to help him out with but at the end of the day the production does matter and the production is going to kind of be a thing so he's a guy that if he falls to say 11th 12th and the red wings are there that's a great pickup because the upside on this kid who has maybe the best tools in the draft uh i was asked the other day if there's a player that has all the tools but doesn't have a toolbox, who is it? Who has the best tools? And it's Brad Lambert or Matthew Savoy to me. And I think Matthew Savoy's toolbox is a little bit more neatly put together. But Brad Lambert, man, like this kid, if he works out, he's going to be the best player in this draft. And when he gets drafted 15th overall, there's going to be a lot of people that look silly. So I, the one thing that uh, kind of branching off the same topic, I think every Red Wings fan specifically, they're sitting at this spot. Uh, I think the Red Wings statistically are most likely to pick between eight and 10 and everybody's 
banging the table for a center, 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 center. So I want to know when that inevitably doesn't happen because it's Steve Heisman and, you know, the draft gods won't let us have nice things. Let's assume that NHL GMs do exactly what NHL GMs do and take a lot of centers in the top seven. What's the best worst case scenario for the Red Wings there? So basically, they can't take a center, but they have a lot of good options sitting there. Simon Nemec, I think. I think Juracek's probably going to be off the board at that point, and I think he'd be the guy I'd say. But I think if you end up with Simon Nemec, or like I said, Frank Nazar, who could be very well listed as a wing by most people, and I think that's probably where people look at him at, to be completely honest. But if Simon Nemec is there at, at eighth or ninth or overall or whatever the Red Wings draft at, I think that's a really interesting player. Right-handed defenseman to add to the system. He's not super big. He doesn't play big by any means. He's six foot one, 192 pounds. But the, the numbers he's putting up in the Slovak League uh, are, are impressive. I think he's the highest scoring defenseman now in the Slovak League's history at the, as a draft eligible player. Um, I think as a U20 player, even he's passed the record now. So the kid's putting up offensive numbers. He plays a, a fairly decent offensive g- or defensive game. I don't think he gets the credit for that, that he, he does. Uh, he, he reads the plays really well. He's not a physical guy. He's not going to go in there and crush a guy like Juracek, but he'll get in there with his stick and kind of break up the play and start moving it up ice efficiently and quickly. He does have a little bit of a penchant to go for the home run on the breakout pass. He'll ice the puck a few more times than you'd like to see and stuff like that. But a lot of the same complaints that you're getting with Nemec is, is the same complaints a lot of people, including myself, had with Simon Edvinson last year. And now this year, Simon Edvinson's maybe one of the best defensemen outside the NHL. So uh, you're looking at it and you're like, man, if we could add a right-handed defenseman to the to the group that the, the Red Wings have with Nemec and Sider and you want to throw Hironic in there, whoever else, and all the other prospects they have, man, I, I if you can't get a center, I don't think that's a bad pick. All right. I got one more. And I think I ask you this every time you come on, and no different here. Who's the wild card? The guy that is 100% not going in the first round. But if everything goes right, you get an absolute stud. Who's that guy for you this year? Gleb Trick is off. And I, I think I probably said him last time we talked and everything, but he is just so incredibly talented. Such a insanely skilled player that I know a few people that I've talked to that are a little bit higher on just going for it and and they have him in the top 15. Uh, He's currently at 16 on my board right now, but he's probably going to get drafted in the second round, especially because he's a Russian player playing in Russia right now with everything going on in the world. He might even go in the third round. Like I don't know exactly how that's going to affect things, but from NHL scouts I've talked to the top guys probably won't be affected as much, but once you get to those mid to low tier guys, like they're going to get bumped down a round or two pretty easily. But a guy like Gleb Trikhozov, for me right now, he's the top player from Russia in this draft, ahead of Moroshenchenko, um, ahead of Grudenin, who's a defenseman I really like. But if, if Gleb works out, the skill, the pace he plays at, uh, his his work ethic on both sides of the puck when he feels like it, his defensive defensively sometimes his work ethic is is un, unplugged controller Ovechkin, but other times he's right in there along the boards engaging. But his offensive pace, his offensive skill, the puck skill is the shot he has for a little bit of a smaller guy. Man, if, if everything works out for Gleb, this is a guy that's playing on a first line in the NHL. And I'm not going to be af- afraid of even saying that he could probably lead a team in scoring at one point. You can't convince me anything you just said is true because there's no way that's a real name. Oh, it's the best name in the draft. Like, Gleb. his first <laughs> name is Gleb. 
like I, there's so many times like I'm talking to people in like group chats and stuff and other scouts and other analysts from other media outlets and they're like, oh, Glenn Trickazov. And then they have to like, correct it in the Gleb because like every iPhone or every phone correcting <laughs> it to Glenn. And it's like that guy's not Russian. Uh, it's a highly skilled offensive forward whose name is Gleb and he has the word trick in his last oh, name. Yeah. I and he'll, need- he'll pull tricks off, man. He'll make a good dude look silly. I need, I need this guy on the Red Wings. Yeah, I need him on the Red Wings because, you know, like the Jeb, like the political oh, map. Yeah. Where it's Je- I need that boy Gleb, like oh. so badly more than anything. <laughs> Man. Please clap. Just go on Twitter, honestly. Anybody that's listening to this, go on Twitter and just search Gleb. You don't even need his last name. Most people don't put his last name when they post highlights. It's crazy. But you just search Gleb. And there'll be so many highlights of this dude just walking in, dangling two defenders and ripping at top corner. Like, this kid is so fun. And yeah, if he works out, man, like, it's going to be fun. Like, imagine Detroit gets like a, a, because they have 45 second round picks like they do every year, it seems. But like, they come away with like Nemec and and Gleb, who who can, I think he plays a little bit of center at the WHL level, but he's mostly a winger. But you come away with Nemec and Gleb in the first and second round, like, that's a just a ridiculous haul for, for the Red Wings. Well, while you're on Twitter, also make sure you check out Tony at the Tony Ferrari. Give him a follow. Ignore that last part about uh, his bio that talks about peanut butter and hot dogs. We're oh. we're getting him checked out. <laughs> uh, and I'm also- sorry, what? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, and then what did I miss here? Also, okay, I'm going to explain it real quick. I need to explain it real quick. You <laughs> you take an all. I feel like you do, and I don't even know what it is. You take an all beef hot dog, an all beef wiener, if you will. And you cook it up nice and however you like it, whether it's cast iron skillet on the barbie. It's got to be an all beef dog. You toast the bun just a little bit and then you put a little bit of creamy peanut butter on the bun and just the hot dog. No other toppings. Oh, it's the best way to eat a hot dog. Easily the best way to eat a hot dog. No. (laughs) Every day, every day (laughs) on this podcast, we stray further from the Lord's light. Yeah, no, uh, I'm, I am here to bring you to hell. <laughs> we also have a subscription uh, to the Hockey News, and that is because Tony is and his work uh, is absolutely worth it. So check him out on the Hockey News as well. Tony, thanks for coming on the show and for your heinous, wild food opinions, uh, which oh. as your friend, I now have to try. But you are <laughs> legally liable for whatever happens to me. So until next time, my friend. I had a, a peanut butter hot dog today, so I'm I'm living life oh. at the fullest. <laughs> All right. Take care, man. See you, boys. Welcome back. That was our interview with Tony Ferrari. Uh, thank you again, Tony, for jumping on the show. Just thinking about those prospects make you feel a little bit better after games like today? No. Okay. Nothing's going to make me feel any better after that hot dog conversation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I missed the hot dog conversation. Peanut butter on hot dog. Oh, who? Yeah. Tony. That uh, was the last episode we ever or interviewed. We ever <laughs> <with> Tony Ferrari. <laughs> Tony moves what down a the freak. <laughs> That's what I called him. He's a freak. He moves down the ball draft analyst. Uh, he should come to the the meetup and we'll like like that. We'll have like a freak show segment. <laughs> it's just him roped off with a hot dog <laughs> and peanut butter. <laughs> Uh, we'll move on to other parts of the episode. Uh, we're going to jump into our segment now where we look at the FanDuel Sportsbook uh, and take a look at those betting odds, not only for the Red Wings, but across the world of the NHL and uh, take a look back on what we've discussed before and the odds looking forward. And Let's start with the Norris. Who's uh favorite? Or sorry, Calder. 
Uh, Calder. The Calder Trophy, who is now at a net minus 125 betting odds. We're no longer in plus territory. Moritz Sider. Oh, what's Michael Bunting? Michael Bunting is a plus 650. All right, we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> a direct attack on the Steve Dangle podcast right here. Uh, I'm just throwing there. just jabs all day. I mean, Michael Bunting is the value bet now. But anyways. I think Jeremy Swayman's a value bet at plus 1500. It's not bad. Especially Boston's on a heater right now. Mm-hmm. You you can make a case. I don't think you can make a case for... It like, doesn't matter. Sider's winning up. Zegris and Raymond both at plus 380. My problem with that bet is if you're making a case for one, you kind of have to make a case for the other. And unless one of them goes off and does something that we haven't seen all season, which is incredibly hard for an NHL rookie to do at the end. Because it kind of feels like they already have done yeah. everything it's weird for them to escalate at this point of the year. Yeah, <clears throat> for sure. This is their first pro year in the NHL. If you're Michael Bunting, you're 17th or whatever it is. Um, yeah, if you want a bat value bet, take Bunting. Or I, I would honestly go Swayman, but you're right, Brad. It's, it's a cider. Like, it's it's Mo Cider. M- minus 125. Are you FOMOing? Are, are you not betting because you, you, you feel like you missed out on plus 650? Yeah, of course. Of course. But I still think it's a We lock. told you. We told you. Unless, you know, the Red Wings lose 11-2 all their last 16 games, which isn't, impos- isn't an impossibility. He was only a minus three today. Only. Uh, yeah. when, the, <laughs> when the Penguins scored 11 goals, he was only a minus three. There was another game that they lost recently. I think it was the Islanders game. And he was uh, a plus one. Yeah, they lost 5-2 and he was a plus one. And he played a ton of minutes was that the 28 minute game 28 minutes he was a plus one and the red wings lost five two that's actually ridiculous and four of the goals were at even strength that is that is ridiculous yeah kids are freak he is a freak and that's the the thing is like you look at they've been polling voters insider is you know head and shoulders above the rest i think even if he has a bad last 16 games he still has this how's my heart pick doing you have Shesterkin? Yeah. He was plus 2,000 when uh, that happened. I think he's going a little ice cold lately. Plus 400. Ooh. Second high, second best, or second lowest odds, like lowest payout. Austin Matthews is at a plus 150. Yeah, it's not bad. The problem Austin. with goalies and hard is like they have like one bad game or like a stretch of bad games yeah. and like it's just a rock in water. Like yeah. they just fall out. They shouldn't, but the perception is they just fall out of the voting. Hey, I'm just saying, I get, I, Anybody who took Shisterkin, I gave them plus 16,000 versus what he is now. 16,000, 1,600. Wow. Evan, you can afford your renos. Yeah, holy shit. Uh, I'm not sure about Austin Matthews at plus 150. It's not good enough value for, like, could you argue he's a favorite right now? Yeah, I'd I'd hear that. 100%. And I'm not even saying he's not deserving, but in a league where Connor McDavid plays, where Leon Dreisaitl plays, Shisterkin is there doing what he's doing. You can't guarantee that he's going to win it. I think like that. Hold on. And Jonathan Huberto, Alan, please don't come at us. <laughs> hey, he's been invited on the show before. It's an open invite, Alan. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not going much past McDavid or, or Shisterkin, probably, but still. That's uh, that's a tough one. If you want the favorite, I, maybe you go Matthews. But if you want the value bet, maybe you, you count on Shisterkin. Hey, Red Wings fans, you're going to see him on Wednesday. Who? Shesterkin, probably. Rangers, yeah. Red Wings. The Norris. That's a two-horse race. That got a Between lot who? more interesting. Makar and Yossi. Yeah. 
Yeah. I wish I could remember what, when we had this conversation earlier, what uh, Yossi was at. I don't even Because I feel like Makar was like, everyone's like, it's going to be Makar. And then Yossi's just just kept pouring it on all year. I think we made a half-assed argument for Hedman. But yeah, like Yossi didn't register in that conversation. And now he's on pace for close to 100 points. Yeah. Honestly, okay, Kale McCarr at minus 330. There's an obvious reason why he's a favorite. But if Yossi continues doing what he's doing, plus 400 for for Roman Yossi's phenomenal. If he hits 100 points, he's winning it. Like, I'm yeah. I'm not a big give the Norris to the guy with the most points. But I mean 100 points. 100 <laughs> points is insane. <laughs> also, Roman Yossi's better defensively than Kale McCarr. I actually don't know this, like the how they've been doing defensively this year. I so. saw some, of the, you know, those player cards, and it's like the bars, and it says like superstar, like yeah, 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 like Dom's. There was a lot of yellow, which is superstars, and that was for both of them. So yeah. it's very hard to compare. So your analytical take here is that they're both very good hockey players. Yes, that's a hard. Who's to- better at defense? I don't know. Your Roman Yossi got another two points tonight. When you can, <laughs> of course he did. When you can skate like Kale McCarr, you can be good at defense just by your footwork. Just be in the right place. Just get in the way. He is in every passing lane. Yes. Okay. Thank you to the FanDuel Sportsbook uh, for sponsoring that segment. I'm going to move us along here to overtime. Uh, and on this weekend episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to start with our Patreon supporters. Who are the reason we have the motivation to come together after games like today and record the show? So patreon.com slash podcast if you want to help support the show. And genuinely, you're all amazing. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Um, missing Vladdy more than ever says, so if Gordie Howe's hat trick is a goal fight and assist, does that make a Darren McCarty, Adriana's dad, hat trick two fights and an OT winner? <laughs> two fights and a cup winner. Stanley Cup winning goal. Either will we'll count either. <sighs> Jacob Charlip says, hey, boys, hope all is well. Been thinking about just how valuable Cider is. How many players in the league do you trade one for one for him? My number was very low. It's got to be less than 20, I would think. It's, I mean, we're not going to rattle through every team in the league, but it is a very... Shrinking. Yeah. Remember when we did the exercise of like how many defenseman in the nhl like defenseman would we trade one for one for him that's hard did we even hit five or was it you know that are better overall i can't remember it was it was a it short was a list. short list yeah um hockey town racing academy and this might be a, a good question here for you to answer brad just like in generally speaking hockey town racing academy asks uh this may be a dumb question no such thing um there is such a thing, but not from you, from either of these guys sitting next to me. How does junior hockey work? What? So that's a see that Evan, what you just said is an example of a dumb question. <laughs> so it's very complicated because it varies all around the world in different leagues, but the brief summary I can give of it is it's the gateway to professional leagues to amplify player the top players coming out of minor hockey. So all the best players out of minor hockey who are too young to go play pro anywhere or they're too young to go play college or, or whatever that next step is going to be, they need that middle ground, that 16 to 20-year-old year of 
what do we do till we're ready? So there's junior hockey leagues set up all over the world for that age bracket of these are the best of the best for this age group. Um, and, you know, obviously some of them will graduate at 18, 19, 20, depending on their talent level. But that's what it is and what it's meant for. It's that the middle school of hockey. If high school and college, high school and university is the NHL, minor hockey is elementary, junior hockey is the middle school too. Get them ready for the next step. Okay. Um, from Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth. says, hello there, boys. In December of 2018, Ariana Grande's Thank You Next was the musical. Well, he doesn't like it, I guess not. says, it was the musical chart of the month topping all charts. Do you remember the song? How long ago does that feel? COVID-19 was still one full year away from kicking our asses. Aquaman was the top new movie. Remember all that? That was when Michael Bunting scored his first NHL goal. December 11th, 2018. Oh, my God. I'm here for all of this. Yeah. Uh, Bill Nye the Thigh Guy says, Hey, Dub Dub Boys, since Cider has been God-tier as a rookie defenseman, how does that affect your outlook for Edvinson? Obviously, he's a different kind of player than Cider, but I can't help uh, thinking that we'll see his game only elevate in the AHL and maybe a few NHL games next season. Mo Sider has made me tread very cautiously with Edvinson because it would be completely unfair to Edvinson to hold him to the Mo Sider standard. The reason Mo Sider's season is so remarkable is because so few players in the history of the NHL have done what Mo Sider is doing right now. If Simon Edvinson walks into Detroit next year and does half of what Mo Sider is doing right now, it's a very good rookie season for a defenseman. So that's what I'm trying to keep in the back of my head when Edvinson comes over next year. If Edvinson comes over next year, he probably will. The only thing I'll concede here in terms of how Sider's ascension has boosted Edvinson and his, you know, development, potential development is that Sider has made the Red Wings blue line substantially better, which is a more sheltered environment for Edvinson to walk into. Yes. Uh, how, how Sider truly boosts Edvinson is that Sider might play with Edvinson at points next year. Like imagine Edvinson came first and Edvinson had to be on this blue line, kind of isolated the way Sider is. You got to be special to even be able to do what Sider's doing. And it's not great. Like, if this is the same blue line next year and Sider has to shoulder this much next year, like, we have a problem on our hands. So, the fact that Edvinson's coming into a decor that at least has one more at Sider on it is a good, good thing. Uh, this is a fun stat from uh, Jerry from Discord. Says, uh, in 2019-2020, we had 25 uh, games with five goals against for the Red Wings. This year... Uh, the 11-2 Pittsburgh loss makes game 24 of five goal against games. 24 and 25. They did it twice in one game. <laughs> <laughs> then you have to count another one for Toronto. So we're at 26. <laughs> you got to laugh so you don't cry. Okay, we have time for some Reddit question here. Reddit questions here. Squish the fish says, love the pod, and thanks for posting these threads. Hell yeah, squish the fish. What's that from? Uh, I don't know if every team uses it, but I know or Bills fans use it when we're playing Miami. Squish the fish. I know a dolphin's not a fish. Shut up. Uh, Doesn't have to make sense. Oh, oh okay. Uh, I'll start with the obvious. Is there really any downside to firing Blashill right now? A lot of us thought it should have happened after the Arizona game. Can it? Uh, can going in with an interim coach for the last month of the season really be worse? 
from an on ice standpoint, no, I don't think so. Uh, from a draft position standpoint, possibly. <laughs> um, and Spirit Bomba says, my comment to the winged wheel guys is how can the organization let this continue? You're killing the morale of our young players and running them into the ground, running, uh, ruining us as a free agent destination, and most importantly, alienating the fan base. I mean, if you're Larkin and Bertuzzi, why would you even resign here? How do we put up with this? Someone needs to say something. You know what? I think once you get to the players, if you gave Larkin and Bertuzzi right now the option of, hey, you can leave and go somewhere else or you can be part of rebuilding this team into a cup competitor, whether you think it's the right decision or not, those guys would pick, you know, be on this team and be part of making this team competitive again. There is something special about playing for an original six hockey team that has, you know, the Red Wings are the most storied franchise in America. I think they want to be part of the solution. This year has definitely made it. If they were 100% saying, yep, I'm done, I can't take this anymore, this year has probably at least inserted doubt. I'm not saying that that's how they feel. I'm just saying, like, if. But no, but it's a very fair point because you have to think at some point if this team keeps losing like this, even when things are supposed to, you know, be getting better, quote unquote then that is going to have damage in ways other than just on ice product. Why do you, why does everyone always say, well, McDavid's going to win a cup, but just not on the Oilers. It's easy to laugh at other teams, but when it happens to us, we're like, oh, well, not us could happen to them, but not over here. It's, it's, it honestly could. I think that's a, it's, it's a real threat. And it's people hard- hate losing, especially people like them who are like the top zero point one percent competitiveness yeah they hate they hate losing at all costs so when it keeps piling on it certainly just makes you want to say i'm out check please people really hate losing look how rattled evan was after his beer league game today i haven't yelled at i think they hate me i (laughs) I have to continually tell them i don't hate any of you and i i'm just very competitive and i know we can do it this is evan at home can they really though this is Evan at home uh, with his girlfriend. As long as they believe it. <laughs> that's not you. That's not even you on the ice. That's that's you at home with uh, with Kat and Aunt that, Fred. That's why Catherine and I can't play sports together. She hates how competitive I am, and she's like not a super competitive person. And I just it, yeah. Lo- it, it, if I was on a, t- oh, I have been on teams where losing is just constant, and there's no sign of it getting better. You gotta take the option. To, to to leave like not everybody wants to be the the savior of the franchise and rise them out of the ashes like some guys just want to go to boston or wherever and play on the second or third line second power play unit and make good money and have a chance to win every year i don't know how we got here but no anyway. but that, it's depressing to think about it is depressing to think about and this is like definitely like a dramatic reaction to yet another got off a loss but i don't think these points are unfair there would have been a point in time where i might have like suppressed these kinds of thoughts where i'm like it's not really it's not really worth the airtime to raise that because i think it's a little bit like over dramatic and a little bit reactionary but it can only and happen the, whole, so the reality of it it might be completely different inside the locker room of no course. stand by what you said larkin and bertuzzi are leaving no 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 <laughs> brad you shit disturber <laughs> Okay, uh, Dizzy Wrongdoer5804 says, which of these three RFA centers would you want us to target this offseason, whether it be trade or offer sheet? Pierre-Luc Dubois, Martin Nachash, or Pavel Zaka? 
I know your answer, Brad. Pass. None of them? Uh, not for what they would cost. How old is Natchash? I Natchash is the player of the group I like the most, but nah, not gonna, there's no way a trade's worth it for what they'd be asking. Is Pavel Zak even worth going yeah. down the offer sheet route? He's not even playing center anymore. Yeah, they've, I don't know how his stat lines have kind of worked the past few years, but I know they've always expected more of him, so I don't know... Kind of broke out last season, but uh, this season it didn't keep up. Pavel Zaka was six overall pick. Yes. Like uh, so he should definitely not come to Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> if he was a six overall pick worth of coming to, worthy of coming to Detroit, we would have drafted him six yeah, overall. Jesus. <laughs> well, hold on. Who are the other six overall picks that we need to acquire now? Matthew Kachuk, oh, Mika Zibanejad. We just missed our chance on Hampus Lindholm. I mean, it was all right there. Again freak of nature that he can just think I, of six overall picks i can like barely that. remember the ones we picked six <laughs> no the trick is you just, I just make need to see their you cannot prove and i know you will not look up to see if i was right or not i often that- do no, no no i really do <laughs> i've gotten very good at like sneaky typing and i look it up and i don't even say anything because brad is again ugh, always right about this stuff makes me sick <laughs> where brad is deficient where i'm just like why aren't you normal it's all that brain space is dedicated yeah, to his Bra- hockey encyclopedia would brad recognize him on the street no no that's your that's expert. my job <laughs> <laughs> brad knows who their parents names are i'd recognize what, some of them what their what league they played in when they were 12 but I've recognized who they were. Mika Zibanejad, super recognizable. No problem. Yeah, yeah. Hampus Lindholm, it might take me I couldn't tell you what he looks like. Yeah, no. Okay. Uh, we should wrap up. It's late, and we all need to decompress after that loss. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to be back with you on Thursday this week. Wednesday night is the Red Wings-Rangers game. Please, please, please. Please, Gord, help us with that one. Um, sure, it'll go well. like to thank all of our listeners, all the people who support the show, our sponsor, the FanDuel Sportsbook, and our name-level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Gron Foundation, Kyle Kragitz, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the number 69 crying Ryan Hannah's Banana Slam and Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, B. Diz, Boost Lobsinger, Carl Brutan and Analuski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Craig Kibble, Daniel Garcia, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Given Good D with Brian Hanna, <laughs> Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Al Kassam, you guys are a bunch of freaks, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, RA, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Zach Spring, uh, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Adam Ernie, Hattrick Truther, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eric Sinkowski, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, uh, Quaz, Logan Stull, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Max $1 million, Missing Vladdy More Than Ever, Papa Woody, Parking on the street. Read on behalf of Jake and Tyler. No, not Bertuzzi. I do have his hair, though. Revy DeLuca, Terry Actual, Trevor Pevavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so very much. And uh, 
We'll see you Thursday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.